welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast that's created exclusively for people who are pursuing donor conception or have donor-conceived children. I'm your host, Lisa Schumann. As a researcher, therapist, and an expert in donor conception, I'm passionate about helping people on their donor conception journey. After decades of work in the field, working on site at some of the best fertility clinics, and through my group, the Center for Family Building, I have run workshops for donor-conceived children and have met with thousands of donors and recipients. I can share the tools and the truths I have learned to help you get the information that you need to have a better path to parenthood or help you tackle tough parenting issues. If it's about donor conception, we are going to talk about it. I hope you enjoy the episode. And today on National Infertility Awareness Week, I have the privilege of the amazing privilege of having Barb Calora on this show. She serves as president and CEO of Resolve, which she has been for a very long time, the National Infertility Association. She's a nationally recognized expert on infertility and the family building journey with a special emphasis on the personal and experience of those struggling to build their family. Barbara has worked with the World Health Organization on infertility definitions and critical guidelines and worked with ACOG on their clinical definitions for infertility and served as a four-year term on the advisory council of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development of the NIH. Barbara, her husband Chris, her son Anthony, and assorted pets reside in Virginia, where she is now, and I am so happy to have her. Hi, Barb. It's great to have you on. Hi, Lisa. It's a little um, embarrassing hearing you read the the bio, but um, thank you so much for having me. You do amazing work. We see each other all the time at medical meetings and important conversations. And so it's really an honor to be on your show and and to sit and and talk with you. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to have you here and thrilled to have you speak to everyone out there about National Infertility Awareness Week and all of these things that will be important for us to think about going forward in this really crucial time in mobilizing as many people as we can to really help in the efforts to make fertility treatment accessible to everyone. Would you like to talk a little bit about that and how important it is for people to get involved? Well, first of all, National Infertility Awareness Week, it's um, a public health observance. It's an opportunity for the community and for the media and for everyone to spread awareness to the general public. So it's great that you and I are talking to each other, but this is a fantastic opportunity to use this time to talk to others, friends, family, coworkers. Um, whoever it may be in your life, in your circle that may not really understand um, what you're going through or what you, how you've built your family, what a great way to kind of um, spread awareness. So that's really what we try and promote and do during National Infertility Awareness Week. We are actually hosting for the first time ever our Federal Advocacy Day during National Infertility Awareness Week. We host this every year. We do this with the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. But this year we're hosting it during NIAW. So there's a lot of focus on um, not only finding your voice, which is a really important message of National Infertility Awareness Week. Who are you? What is your voice? How do you talk about your family building? And then using that. So finding it is a, is a big part. As you know, sharing your story 
is really hard. And why should we anyway? It's really private. It's it's very personal. Why should we be talking about our family building and how we built our family and the struggles that we may have gone through? Why should we do that? That's what we try and encourage people to do during National Infertility Awareness Week. But then using that voice to advocate for change. I don't know about you, Lisa. I've been around this field for a long time. I went through my own family building journey. And so, gosh, it's been 24, 25 years that I've been on either on this journey or a part of Resolve, either as a volunteer or on staff. And I'm still not satisfied with the status quo. It's sucked when I was a patient back in the late 90s, and it stinks today. And Mm -hmm. so that's not good. That's not right. And we are motivated by that desire for change at Resolve. That's what fuels us. That's what gets us up every day. And honestly, there was a point in time when I remember at Resolve, I kind of thought, you know, it's okay if you don't share. It's okay if you don't advocate. We're here. Resolve's here. We got this. I don't know what I was thinking or what made me think that way because that is really wrong. And it's wrong on so many levels. But the main reason why it's wrong is that change doesn't happen until many voices rise, until many people share their story. And you have this groundswell of activism where, quite honestly, it's hard to ignore. And change then happens. Um, and so that's what we do at Resolve. We try and inspire people, many, many people to do that and to give them that space to say, it's okay if you don't want to share your story, but we're not going to see real change happen if we all stay on the sidelines, right? We've, yes, we've got to have a critical mass of people who are raising their voice and talking about these, these issues or we're not going to see change happen. It doesn't have to also, you know, people out there have to know it doesn't have to be an all or nothing proposition. Exactly. Like we can talk about, exactly. you know, how terrible it was to try to find a doctor or how hard it was to you Absolutely. Know, have a misperiod or whatever it is, one spe- specific thing we can share. And also in terms of advocacy, you know, we can give money, we can go to organizational groups, we can go online and write to our congresspeople. There's all sorts of ways to help. And even the smallest way does add up. It does. It does. And it starts with people sharing and telling their story to those around them. Because it's like that, that, you know, when you throw a pebble into a pond and the kind of those concentric circles sort of go out, that's what happens when we start talking and we start sharing more and more and more people. It doesn't become this, my goodness, I'm so surprised at how many people are impacted by either infertility or who are struggling to build their family. It becomes like, oh yeah, I know so many people. It's prevalent. It's common. It happens to a lot of people. We're not quite there yet. And that's what I want to get to. Because once you get to that point and it becomes so common, then that that change really starts to happen. You know, when we look at things like breast cancer awareness, mental health, you know, the AIDS movement, you had all of those same sort of stages. 
until you got real policy changes Absolutely. and real changes in research and, and that sort of thing. So it takes time, but um, gosh, you look at all of those, none of that change would have happened if people hadn't you know, spoken up and shared their story. Right. And even when it comes to donor conception, people can share as much or as little as they want to yep. and Absolutely. still advocate and still talk about their fertility journey or you know, if they're in the same sex couple, how hard it is to have their family. They don't have to talk about the details if they're feel inhibited, but there's lots of ways to share and to get out there and to spread the word and to help write to your congressman to do things that can really be helpful. And everyone should know that that small little piece of, yes. of assistance does mean something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very important. And we organized this advocacy day and people, I mean, we get hundreds of people who sign up, who take the day and they meet with their U.S. senators, they meet with their member of the House of Representatives. I mean, when you think about it, that takes a lot of guts. And, you know, it's time, it's effort, you're going to commit to this. And, but I want to your point, people to know that, that we need people at all levels of advocacy. If that is something that is of interest, the good news is you don't need to be a professional lobbyist. You don't even need to be a professional speaker. You just know your own story. You know what you went through and that's what matters. We will provide you with all the training. We have all the pieces of paper that we leave with the members. You don't need to remember bill numbers, but you start to learn how important it is to communicate your own story to somebody who can change it and make it better. Absolutely. And in terms of what we're fighting for, can you, for people who are out there who are thinking, okay, well, what are we trying to do now? Yeah. Can you explain a few of the things that would be really important for people to know? Well, there's two avenues. There's two ways to look at what we advocate for and the barriers. So think about it this way. It's barriers to family building. And um, don't think about it as a disease or as this. Think about barriers. And when we think about barriers to family building, our job is to remove those barriers. So there might be financial barriers. And what does that look like? How do we ensure that you can access the care and the family building options that you want that are um, within your budget? And we do that through health insurance. We do that through other ways that you might provide adoption assistance or surrogacy assistance. And that's typically done through employers. So one of the things that we advocate very strongly for is insurance coverage, employer-provided insurance coverage, so that those financial barriers are are removed. And we want to see this for all ways to build your family, Um, adoption, surrogacy, medical treatment. So that's, if you think about that lane, that's opening access. That's removing those barriers that will get you to building your family. That's amazing. Here's the other thing. And a lot of people don't know this. I'm so glad you asked this question because a lot of people are are unaware of this other barrier. Other barrier is really artificial. It's it's done by policymakers and by legislation. So this might be a bill at at a state in a state legislature. This might be something at the federal level, but it's becomes law, and it could potentially restrict your access to even getting care. So we certainly see this in the world of abortion, but why in the world would people want to artificially prevent 
people from building their family. And that's what we're facing today. And we have been facing for a long time, but now this, quite honestly, the stakes are much higher. The reason for that is that if you think about the process of IVF, it creates embryos. And that's a really important component of the IVF process is to create embryos, hopefully enough embryos. Um, Maybe you can even freeze some, use them for a second attempt at pregnancy. Maybe you have those embryos stored. What some people think though, is that those embryos are actually people, Yes, people that have rights. And so they don't want to see any harm come to those embryos. They don't want to see those embryos frozen. They don't want to see those embryos, any kind of manipulation in a laboratory. They don't want to see those embryos discarded. They see that every single one of those embryos as a person, and you and I know, having been in this field a long time, not every embryo turns into a living human being. Some of those, by the way, embryos that are going to be screened are screening to prevent problems for the future child, and yet they're seen as manipulating or or doing something terrible to the embryo. Yeah, doing some kind of genetic testing. Maybe you've had lots of miscarriages and there's, there's other issues that might be happening and they want to screen those out. They can do that now. Technology is amazing. But there are folks who will say, hmm, that's a person. I'm not sure you can do that. So what we are seeing are, are these attempts to that would restrict access. Honestly, sometimes they're not even going after IVF. It's an unintended consequence. Sometimes it's very explicit that they're trying to impact IVF and, and shut it down. Those are the kinds of bills and legislation that we are fighting against. So we're fighting for those bills that are going to open access and policies that are going to open access and other things that employers might do. Maybe it's not even legislation that employers do. And then we have to, at the same time, fight against these bills that would artificially restrict access. That is a really tough thing because there's also all of these small things happening like embryo adoption groups claiming that the embryo is a person. And then you have, you know, states that want to say, well, if you're pregnant, you can travel in the assisted person's lane in the highway because you're, there are two people in there. And there's all kinds of ways that there are, there's more and more propaganda going on. And so there's, they're creating this groundswell of forcefulness that is really hard for people to resist who may be vulnerable to, you know, feeling this way. And then you're stuck with this personhood law that has a lot of pressure behind it. And then, you know, we really rely on you, Barb, to be this gatekeeper to say, wait, whoa, wait a minute. I know there's been this whole groundswell of, you know, energy behind this, but this is not right. And um, people don't realize how often you're out there trying to over and over again, prevent these things from, for coming to fruition. You know, it's, it's such a great point because there's, um, there's awareness here. We are national infertility awareness week. There's awareness building about family building and the challenges that we, that we have to do a much better job of. We have to do a much better job of, of ensuring that the, that the public and legislators and policymakers and employers understand what, 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 what all those challenges are. But then we have to put our, our awareness hat off and put our policy hat on and we have to move into how do we speak to legislators so that they understand how detrimental the words on that piece of paper are for our community. 
and how they are harming people's access to care. And then there's the legislative process. I don't know if you've ever heard that old saying that making legislation is a lot like making sausage. It's really ugly when you're doing it. And quite honestly, I don't want to know what all those ingredients are in the sausage, right? I don't want to see it. That's a lot like lawmaking. We don't even want to know. We don't want to see it. It's ugly. It's really ugly. And so part of it is understanding that legislative process, knowing when to advocate, knowing what to say, and what those levers are that we can pull as a community. My hope is, is that through that awareness, we're creating that groundswell and then they're ready to go, right? And then when I need them, I pull the lever and they go, whoa, they go rushing Mm -hmm. through because I don't want to unnecessarily distress people. That's a personal thing for me. It's also a very important thing for Resolve as an organization. We need to be factual. We can't unnecessarily alarm people. I can't have people running around with their hair on fire. I need to get them interested, excited, energized. And then when we're ready, go. And then go in this way because we can exhaust ourselves, Lisa. And that's one of the things I don't want to see. I don't want to see people just, you know, tailspin, hair on fire, uh, 24-7. The Dobbs decision, the world is ending. Okay, let's be smart and raise awareness factually. Let's get people engaged. And then when ASRM and Resolve are in a position where we need you to go here, that might be Kansas, that might be South Carolina, that might be Arizona, that might be Texas, that might be Georgia, that might be in Washington, D.C., then we have those masses of people ready, um, ready to go. And so just so people are aware, and I don't, you know, want to set people's hair on fire, of course, but <laughs> that is not my plan. But I think but I can yes. do that. No, I <laughs> but I do think that people underestimate from what I recently heard, there's, you know, kind of like double the amount of bills that have been put up already this year from last year, right? And oh yeah. And you know, Lisa, I can certainly go down that path. And I want to share something too. For most state legislatures, they start in January, they start around the same time, their bills get pretty much introduced around the same time. So we started seeing many bills in many different states have the exact same language. So that tells you that this is this is not um, a coincidence, shall we say. <laughs> this is some entity, I don't know if it's an organization or if it's just some creative legislator, shared this wording. And the wording is a new way to look at personhood. We used to see life begins at conception. An embryo is a person. Now we see a very, in my opinion, creative way of defining what an unborn child is. So think about it. Unborn child. It's not, this is what a fertilized egg is. It's a person. It's an unborn child. Now, when you say the word child, you, you instantly get a, a, a reaction that's protective, right? Loving. We want to do everything in our society, protect children. Well, now we have an unborn child. Ooh, gosh, I want to do everything I can to protect that unborn child. So you can see the, the creativity and, and quite honestly, 
the genius of kind of switching this around. So now we see many, many, many bills and they define an unborn and they usually have it in quotations, an unborn child. And guess what the definition is? The definition is from the moment of conception all the way through gestation to birth. That was kind of my summary, but there's very specific wording and we're seeing this in multiple states, the exact same wording. Sometimes they even use the word from zygote, which is very, very early. So when we look at that definition of unborn child, it's personhood. It's defining that that embryo, that fertilized egg is not a person anymore. It's an unborn child and it needs to be protected. And so that's what we see. And we see this over and over and over. And so if you need to stay awake, I can send you some bills that would just make you say, who comes up with this? Who would write that? Who would deny people the right to have a family? So there is some very scary legislation that's been introduced in a number of states. And we at Resolve and at ASRM, we monitor these bills. We find out what's going on. I don't know the legislative process in all 50 states, but I sure find out. And we find allies. We um, work with organizations in those state capitals. We talk to people and we evaluate where this bill might go. Does it have the support of, of the leadership in the legislature? How does the governor in that state feel about it? What is the media in that state saying about it? And how do we respond? Because it's critically important that we respond appropriately. If a bill is introduced, which thousands of bills get introduced, they never go anywhere, and we know it's not going to go anywhere, we actually want to stay kind of quiet. Because if I unleash those thousands of people that I, that I mentioned earlier, they might actually give it a lot of air and a lot of oxygen and a lot of energy and help it move. And so it's a balance, Lisa. It's, mm. it's quite honestly, it's every state you have to look at as its own unique situation. Um, what worked in Ohio isn't going to work in South Carolina. And what worked in New York is definitely not going to work in California, right? So when you start getting involved with state advocacy, it's, as I said to one of my colleagues just last week, I said, this is not for the faint of heart. No, it really oh my is. Goodness. And I'm sure within each one of those states and each one of those circumstances, you're faced with the ramifications of the families who are now not getting care, the doctors who are afraid to work with their patients, right? right. The, the right. embryologists that now worries about their job, you know, right. The, right. the embryos that are frozen there and all the parents who say, should I move my embryos to a different state? And, you know, multitude of problems that can cascade after these things come up yeah. is probably enormous. You know, there's, um, there's fear and it's very motivating. And there's also the unknown and the unknown is very motivating for people. So what we do not like to see in any kind of legislation is vagueness where there's, there's unknowns. And a lot of these bills are written that way. And you could say, well, you could interpret it this way. You could interpret it that way. So you, you go to reasonable people, a physician, and you say, what should I do? Should I proceed? Should I move my embryos? And they might say, I don't know. It's too vague. It doesn't 
clarify what you should or shouldn't do. And we don't know. So again, these are bills. These are not laws. Let's be clear. These are bills. These are not laws. But when you see that kind of vagueness, that's where you really get worried. People make decisions on that vagueness because it's uncomfortable for them. And so they choose to say, well, I'm going to read it this way, or I'm going to read it this way. And they both may be very reasonable people, but they may choose very different ways to interpret it. And then there are certainly, I would imagine, many, you know, an outgrowth of all of these bills where there could be legislators who feel that it makes sense to start, you know, extracting books about reproduction from the schools because now there's this, you know, all this energy around personhood, or maybe they should now decide that there's, you know, that women who, you know, go to fertility clinics are, you know, problematic. I mean, there can be so many problems from each one of these organizations that are kind of pushing ahead for these groups. And I'm sure you have to hear that all the time and, you know, wonder about how the welfare of all of these people are really kind of dependent on these opinions in some ways, right? They're kind of sitting in their states. Yeah. You know, it's, there's, there are fringe groups, you know, there's, there's fringe groups on every issue. And so we watch a couple of of real fringe groups in in the abortion space because they have come out and said how bad IVF is. They're well funded. They have um, already been active in in some state legislatures, and they're not going away. So let's let's just step back for a minute, minute Lisa. The abortion of opposition, the anti-choice movement, has been very very active for more than fifty years. And um, they're patient and they're well-funded and they are um, very well-organized. Look at us, reproductive rights, reproductive freedom, family building even, okay? Think about it that way. Are we well-organized? Are we showing up in all 50 states every year with an advocacy day? Are we approaching things with a lot of funding behind us? No, we are a young movement that, that needs a, a lot of support because, and this is the bad news, we now have to be doing this every, every year for many years to come. This is our new normal. Lisa had the opportunity in the summer of 2022, so after the Supreme Court decision was, was handed down to speak to the new, uh, to speak to the fellows. These are, these are the doctors who are going to be reproductive endocrinologists. And I said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but part of your job and your career from today forward will be advocating because if you, if you don't, you may not be able to practice and do what you do. Our community has to look at this very differently and has to be involved and active year in and year out. There, there isn't an end. However, we got a bill introduced in the U.S. Congress at the end of um, 2022. It's going to be reintroduced now in this new Congress. And a federal law would protect access. Of course, it has to be written well, but you know, federal law overrides state law. So it enshrines that right. And that's what we're trying to do at the federal level. We're trying to get a law passed that enshrines everybody's right to build their family how they want. And that includes 
IVF, rights over embryos, and it also protects the providers. Remember how they, they haven't gone after women seeking an abortion, they've gone after the abortion providers, right? So we want to protect the providers of IVF, the embryologists, everybody who works in that space, lawyers, mental health, nurses, you name it. So in, if, if we can get a federal law passed, then we are okay at the state level. That's where the abortion movement missed their mark. They never got that federal right passed in Congress. Look at marriage equality. That didn't happen until 2022 when they saw what happened with abortion. What? So I feel like we are learning from those movements and those mistakes, if you will. And we went right to Congress and we said, okay, <laughs> you and I, Lisa, we can see the handwriting on the wall 10, 20 years from now. You just, you just laid out some really scary things. So we want to prevent that from happening. And I don't want to be the one 20 years from now who said, God, why didn't we do that? Why? Now look what we're faced with. Um, let's just take care of this now. I'm with you 100%, Barb. That is amazing. And I think what you're saying to everybody out there is that we really need to make sure that this is just like a regular habit. At this point, we just have to continue on a regular basis, you know, when we need to, we want to donate to our favorite charity, there you go. You want to make some, you know, you read something in the news you don't like, send a letter to the congressman. It just has to start to be almost reflexive, I think, for all of us. Exactly. Exactly. At this point, right? And it's really the only way that our rights are going to survive because there's so much more pressure coming the other direction. I will tell you that you have to ask yourself whether you're in this space as um, somebody who built their family, whether you're in this space as someone who needs to build their family, who's desiring that, whether you're somebody like Lisa and I, who's a professional in this space, you have to ask yourself, how will you feel if something bad happens and, and you weren't there to prevent it? And I've had an opportunity to, to talk to a couple of people who have some regrets for some things that happened in Congress in our space. 20 some years ago. And I, I remember distinctly having this conversation with this woman and she's at an academic institution. And she said, I knew what was happening in Congress. And I, I thought somebody, I just, I didn't think it was going to happen. And I thought somebody else would, would take care of it. She said, I regret that every day because what we don't appreciate is the power that we have and the, the impact that we can make. So many of us don't feel like we can do that but we, we can. And that's where you get organized and you make some, something happen. So I, I just can't, I don't know, this is going to be something I'm, I'm now saying constantly every day over and over Yeah, because uh, we need it. And especially now, right? It, because now more than ever, there are more people whose lives are affected, right? There, you know, yeah. the, yes. the, the idea of family is changing so much before our very eyes, right? We have so many more single parents and gay parents and trans parents and people who are creating all different kinds of relationships. And all of those things don't happen in the bedroom, right? They happen in the lab. Yep. So for all of these families and families-to-be, this is their future. This is their children's future. This is their you know, friends and family who care so much about the children. This is 
everyone's future, really. And we do have so many people out there who are really interested in this because this is going to give them the family that they desire. And without it, you know, there's no option. So I think it's really, really important for people to recognize that and to share with all of their friends who are single parents by choice and friends who have same-sex parents or, you know, who are even thinking about it to really consider that this is the future that we're looking at in, you know, and I hate to overuse this term, but it's not only hurtful to the infertile people, but it's really discriminatory, right? Because it discriminates against everybody who wants to build a family, not in the bedroom. Couldn't have said it better. Um, it is discriminatory. And we need to get to that point where we're, we're talking about it as such. And uh, we, are, we are telling that to lawmakers. And we, we ask ourselves, is this the kind of country we want to live in? where we are, we are choosing who's a parent and who's not a parent. And that's what, what a lot of this does. And I think that it's incumbent upon us to speak up and show how families are built and beautiful families. And that is what reproductive rights are. It's a right to say, I want a family and when I want that family. And um, that's a fundamental right. And we're entitled to have our own rights and not to have the government or the, these powers that be tell us that we can't have families. And, you know, certainly, as you know, in infertility in general, we're just kind of moving ahead in terms of having less and less of a feeling of isolation, less shame, less anxiety. People are now feeling more comfortable with it and less, in, less embarrassed. And certainly in donor conception, we still have a long way to go. But we're just getting there where people can feel proud to build the families that they want to and not feel ashamed of it. And now here we are ha- with this whole group of people who says, yes, not only should you be ashamed, but it should be illegal. It's a, a reality that we have to recognize. We can't hide from it. We have to be smart and we've got to get ourselves organized and educated and activated. That's great. Well, that's a great note to end on for today, Barb. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. I'm so grateful that you've been here. You know, I certainly would love to have you back on, but I also want to tell everybody out there what they can do now and how they can reach you or how they can reach Resolve and maybe also just let people know that there's so much there at Resolve for people, so much support too. So it's National Infertility Awareness Week. So check out our website. It's called infertilityawareness.org. That's the the site for NIAW. And then resolve.org is the organization's website. You can uh, sign up to get our correspondence. Let us know what state you're in. We also um, have a campaign called Fight for Families. You can share your story and uh, get toolkits and resources and really learn what you need and to do and what you can do. Yeah, we do have a lot of resources. We also have support groups um, that meet in person as well as virtually across the country. We're adding new ones every day. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, and uh, and then we do a, a great deal in state advocacy. We do sometimes we do state advocacy days and um, just a lot of activities. So a lot of ways to not only educate and get support, but If you do want to get involved um, from an activist perspective, we have a lot of ways for you to do that. That's terrific. So there's something for everyone. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, pick and choose what feels comfortable for you. But, you know, I think the message is to try to make sure you do something and um, know that, you know, your family is beautiful the way that it is and the way that you want to build your family. And let's help not just us, but everybody out there in the future of families by, um, you know, joining Resolve and getting involved as much as we feel comfortable. Thank you, Lisa. Well, thank you so much. And for all of you out there, please subscribe because that's how we can keep going. And um, you will always be notified about more episodes. And I look forward to seeing you next time.